Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of the rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. What is up, family? Today, I am really excited to be joined by a esoteric, some would call abstract somewhat spiritual even philosophical but all the while incredibly smooth rapper from seattle who's delivered two of my absolute favorite albums of the year the televangel produced collab album metatron's cube and his even more recent project with small professor 100 year darkness so i'm very excited to welcome aj suede to the show how you doing man Robin on the fifth bar, make you stand up and play the sitar. Wrist off on the Sega Genesis, your apprentices, over time and arch nemesis. Weary when I'm taking people under the wing. I'll be rapping cause you're lucky that I never could sing. Never pretend with the blink. Gonna drop your whole advance just to act like a king. Peace, dude. That was a great intro. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Your year has been off the charts and i'm really excited to get into those records and just how you approach the game because i think it's it's pretty unique but where i want to start is where you're from because i know of some seattle artists in the game that have that have like made a name for themselves but it's definitely not like new york or some of the bigger cities uh as it relates to hip-hop so like how is this the hip-hop culture in seattle like all right, so uh, originally I am from New York. I'm from mm-hmm. East Hall. Yeah. And I lived there the majority of my life. I, I lived in Seattle for five years now. And um, Seattle's local scene, when I first came here visiting, like playing shows, like while I was traveling, you notice that Seattle has a super strong local tight-knit scene because Seattle's used to being skipped by a lot of tours. Like when right. you look on a lot of tour flyers, there's a lot of times where it'll go straight from Portland to Vancouver, BC. And uh, I think like out of necessity, Seattle's been able to have like a very self-sustained, tight-knit uh, local scene. And a lot of it, they, obviously there's rap everywhere, but you know, um, the early shows, a lot of the early shows that I was playing around town would be with a lot of bands, like a lot of punk bands, mm. with uh, some indie bands and like, couple rappers here and there but it was a lot of the times it was a type of environment where all of those different types of musicians could play together uh house shows there was a very thriving house show scene to the point that like a house was throwing something every weekend so when i first came out here and decided that i wanted to stay i was in the midst of playing shows every single weekend and working part-time so it was just uh it was dope and then over time I just felt like it was a very great place for me to continue making music mm-hmm. as, you know, as, as long as I go home as often as possible, which has kind of been tricky with the pandemic. But prior to that, I would still try to go back East as much as I could. Yeah. So. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So the punk scene is definitely, is that still very thriving in, in Seattle? Like the, yeah, the, the I'm definitely. Scene? I mean, yeah. The thing about it though, is like, as the city changes, like most major cities, like gentrification and property values increasing, a lot of those houses that were around when I first got here aren't throwing shows anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like they got noise ordinance out or uh, develop developer bought the property and, and leveled it. So, but there's still like a thriving scene of punk shows. And during the pandemic, there was, there's like this bridge downtown, like under the bridge, there's huge shows, punk and metal and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got into it cause one of my main producers and like best friends from Seattle, uh, DJ, he also DJs for me when I play live shows. Oh, okay. He's in two very well-known punk bands in the area. Uh, three actually, but, um, so I got to I got the chance to go to a lot of these shows and just see a lot of the type of music that I would hear about when I was living on the East Coast, like the shit that I would hear in skate vids. And there was no thriving scene where I was living at. And while I was in New York, also, I don't I wasn't tapped in with anybody who was in the stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that aspect of being in this city was also pretty instrumental to the development of my style, I think. And you also. I think because of like, maybe I'm, I'm curious, like the fact that you were playing a lot of shows with a lot of different, like non hip hop acts. Like one thing I noticed in like the references you make in your music and to an extent, the music, the actual like aesthetic of some of your beats and stuff, it's definitely pulling from not just hip hop. Like it seems like you have a pretty like wide array of tastes, like some of the references you mentioned. So like, what were some of the reasons and like, what are some of like your, the acts, like the non hip hop influences that have like inspired you? Shit. Uh, I must like in order, probably I'm gonna think about like, as I got into making beats and shit, but early on I was hell in a massive attack. Nice. And like Portishead, uh, tricky and like all the Bristol trip hop shit was pretty big. And then I started fucking with like stereo lab and, um, anything that dropped on 4AD records too. So like, um, fucking Atlas sound and all that, anything that was sounding really good to the ears at the time. But, uh, and then on the other side of that, there's tons of the shit with all, all the punk and metal stuff is that there's people who are like diehard fans of that. And that's all they listen to 24 seven. So they'll know all of these bands that I never heard of. And that's the mm-hmm. type of shit where you might go to shows and fools will be like, Oh, you ever heard of this band or you heard of this band. And, a lot of the shit I like from that world is like 70s to 80s older punk that I've heard on like skate videos that that might have sent me down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, and this is the reason why I gave that disclaimer, because somebody who's like a, into that shit, like for real, is going to think that me saying I fuck with Black Flag or, or even Misfits or Bad Brains. These are all very popular bands at this yeah. point, but I love them all the same. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely like, yeah, I would say I'm into those, but I'm definitely no, I'm no deep head when it comes to punk. Like I like Black Flag. I like Bad Brains, but. Yeah, but there's know. also yeah, you know, I think the extent of that for me getting to learn more was going to see for a while. There was a lot of bands who were like local to Seattle mm. that, are, that are also fire too, but too, sometimes you don't even get to catch the name. You know, you're just in the crowd. That's cool though, man. That's like, it's a lot more natural way to, to get, like ingratiated to music because i mean most people most of the time like myself included like i'm learning about music through the internet which is great the internet has a lot of great things but 
it's something special to just truly get introduced to someone live. Like that's, yeah, that's, sure. that's especially like, you know, unbiased, you don't know the name, you don't know the people. Mm-hmm. So if it's good and it catches you, you could just be like, there's tons of times I'll go out to hear live music for all genres. And every once in a while I have to stop and ask somebody and be like, yo, who's this? And I'll pay attention from there. You know how it should be. Mm-hmm. But and if we move to like influences that are inspirations specific to hip hop, there's actually mm-hmm. one name that I got hurt that got tossed around by one of the patrons for the show, actually Noah. He mentioned that your style from like a delivery perspective reminds him or like a vibe reminds him of currency. Like you're like, he, I think he said, you're like a more, you're like a philosophical spiritual currency. And I was Yo, like, that's, that, that's not, that's not, a, that's not that far off, I guess. Yo, but uh, you know the thing about that though, is like, even to like go a little bit after earlier rap influences, there was a time where Damon Dash had this studio called DD-172. And that's where the first Pilot Talk album by Currency was dropped. But at that same exact time, Jay Electronica would be over there a lot, Smoke Dizza, mm. uh, Big Crit. And that was that era where they were kind of um, pioneering the blog era yeah. in a way. But at that time, when I was like in 11th grade and I first started really getting into Currency's music, I also heard Exhibit A by Jay Electronica and Exhibit C. And I think those are, that was pretty detrimental without me really consciously thinking about it. I definitely feel like a, there's influence from currency as far as like all the fly shit, smoking the lifestyle shit. But then somebody mm-hmm. who's kind of like JLX, who, who has that philosophical uh, type of aspect to them. So I would say that that's probably a fair cross because I am influenced by both of those worlds in one way or another. Yeah, because like one of the things I really find interesting about your music is that like you, you have a lot of substance to what you're saying. And there's a lot of references that like even a lot of them, I don't even really understand some of the concepts you're discussing. But at the same time, it doesn't, I don't think require to, to like, if you don't understand everything, it just becomes immediately unlistenable, like because your flow, the vibe, it does feel kind of like Leia, like lifestyle rap where you could put this on. And I know I would be very confident. Most people that like hip hop will be like, Oh, this is sick. Like there's not like, it's not as abrasive as I think a lot of, even like a J electronica, sometimes it can be just very in your face to where he's saying like, like a bunch of stuff where you're like, you kind of have, you're confronted with it a bit differently. So I find that interesting with yours. Yeah. You definitely like J electronica can't be played in like every single mood. I feel like I got to try to encompass all of those into something. So it's kind of like you're mixing food and medicine. Like mm-hmm. I'll talk a whole bunch of shit and then might slide something else in there make you think and then go back to something else. So you're not thinking too hard, you know, maybe you'll think about it later. Mm-hmm. Especially it's cool. Also, like when you have bars that go over heads and then like, I know what a lot of my favorite rappers, they might've had bars that like, I, I've known the song well enough to recite them, but I still don't understand them. Yeah. Until All maybe later in my life. And then I'm like, Oh shit. And that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and if we go a bit into this kind of that bag that you have, like all the spiritual philosophical perspective you bring in your music, um, what attracts you to like explore that even outside of hip hop? Like, what is it about all of that that you find so interesting? And then also, why do you like to actually include that in your raps? Well, I think like in general, I like to learn, you know, and I think, um, it's one thing when you search for topics to learn, you kind of can't force yourself to learn something that you don't care about. So every once in a while, I might 
just be reading random stuff or like watching random things, falling down rabbit holes of knowledge and doing research and the topics that keep me glued in, like the shit that's interesting enough for me to want to keep trying to learn about, by default, it's going to find its way into the music. And a lot of the times it's not even like I'm thinking about it all year round. It just, I might've happened to have been learning about a certain subject or a certain part of that at the same exact time that I was writing. So just naturally it found its way in there. But whenever you find something interesting like that, you, I kind of just dive in and try to learn as much as possible until the point that I, until I get bored of it and try to learn something else, but I'm always just trying to learn something, even if it's not like just the textbook shit, but just accumulating knowledge, you know? And like specifically with like abstract, like I think imagery and just some of the, even the ways you approach songs, like it seems like that's, you're clearly like intrigued by the more abstract slice of life. Like what, what is it like, have you always been like that? Did you always grow up liking abstract art or more experimental ideas, I guess you could say? I don't know if that's the right word of saying it. No, potentially. I mean, cause uh, I probably didn't like really appreciate it at the time, but like in school as a kid, I went on tons of field trips to, you know, Metropolitan Museum of Art, Museum of Natural History. I was at a different museum damn near like every week. And my mom is also a teacher too, you know, and like she doesn't really teach anymore. But at that time she was definitely a, she was a computer teacher, but um, we would go to museums all the time. I might go with her in her school. And I feel like without me really thinking about it, yeah, maybe, maybe for sure. You know, like uh, I remember going to see certain, and as a kid, a lot of that shit could be really boring. You know, like we might yeah. do something in our school. Like I went to a school called Ella Baker, which is in like the Upper East Side of uh, in Manhattan. And it was kind of what they call these days, like a Montessori school. You ever heard that term? No. So it's kind of like a school. It's an elementary school. Like we call it all our teachers by their first names. Oh, I you think know? I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And like when we, whenever we had our class, it wasn't always like there was a unit. There was different stations and we kind of just had the room to do whatever the fuck we want. You know, and um, as with a lot of things, but like I, I was there up until like fifth grade. And I think and part of that, we did go to tons of fucking museums and, and stuff like that. And I, I don't think that at the time I would have appreciated it, but I'm sure some of it stuck with me because I just have random knowledge of shit that I retain. You know, I remember going to go see Matisse and having a unit on cubism and shit like that in elementary school. That is, you know? that is wild. And it's a public school too. You know, it's not yeah. like it's, it's not private or anything. Mm -hmm. That that's a lot of like things that people don't even know about as adults. Like that, yeah, that is pretty yeah it's crazy. Like, I don't I don't really. I was actually pretty fortunate because I, I think about a lot of the shit I learned. It was a, uh, you know, we would do shit like that. You have a unit or something, and then we go and see it live. Yeah, so, it allows you to apply your knowledge. Like that always is usually a way people learn, especially yeah, young. Like, you know, no point in knowledge if you can't apply it, right? Yeah um so if we get into like specifically how you rap like from like a like how you approach a song like how do you do that is it usually that you hear a beat and that kind of like drives you're like okay i'm feeling this beat it makes me want to rap about x or is it the opposite are you a guy that writes first and then picks beats to kind of like fit that Yo, mood i used to do that shit i used to uh like write in silence sometimes and try to like puzzle piece it together but I think like, as it, I think me personally, I think it's easier. I'll listen to a bunch of beats. And like you said, I'll wait for the one beat that makes me want to write on the spot. 
And I think that that guides the way that I write because every beat kind of, you can see it when you swap beats out. Like let's say that you have something at a tempo and you write it to one beat and then you might swap a beat out to see how it, it's never, there's certain pockets that are always going to be missed. Yeah. And I think that uh, as I try to keep progressing in my writing, I'll let the beats tell me where to hit certain bars. And I think uh, a lot of really good examples of that on the Small Professor album, because his beats and his drum styles aren't, there's like, there's swings to it. You know, a lot of times it swings. So it's kind of on me as like the vocalist. I think that I, I'm, I just, I'm just another instrument in, in it, you know? Yeah, I definitely hear that, especially on that Small Professor album. Like it, and especially just even contrast, contrasting that with the, the Metatron's Cube, like those are not similar pockets. Like obviously there are yeah. some similarities. You're the same rapper, but Small Professor is not making beats like Televangel and vice versa. Like that, that sure. showed the versatility just like within two months span. You know, yeah, you, I mean, you also hear like the type of beats that like the, yeah, like the difference in, as producers televangel beats they, there's a lot to them you know so um the thing with that album i felt was a little bit like there was a couple times where i really barred out but i think from the perspective of the producer that i was working with we were kind of trying to craft songs that had like bridges and had like mm -hmm. progressions and they kind of kept changing as the song went whereas the small professor album to me i felt like i was on some like jazz musician shit like we were like in a lounge and there's somebody with an upright bass you know, but that's all small. And I'm kind of just like grooving with that. No, I love that. I love that. Uh, I love that image you just put. It does feel like that. Cause I was like, I definitely will get into it a little later. Like there is a subtlety to that album and just kind of like a relax that is so infectious, but you're still like going, like you're going hard lyrically. Well, I appreciate you, you know, hearing that. And as someone who first heard you, I believe like, like, I feel like literally like 17 artists I've heard for the first time was on that ice iceberg theory, August Fanon dispatches from the Kali Yuga. I was called at the, the gateway drug of like a huge, you know, that's a great album and he's a great artist, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I know he's doing his thing and he's taking a step back, but that's somebody that the first time, first album I heard from him was a August Fanon album as well. And there's multiple songs on there that I was like, yo, who the fuck, who is this? Yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you're on, I think, track three on that album. And mm -hmm. the immediate takeaway I had from that feature was just that I was like, damn, like this person feels, cause obviously I didn't know who you were at the time. I was like, this person feels very sure of themselves. Like they have a, a style that feels very refined and like worked on. It didn't seem like you were an amateur, uh, which obviously you weren't. Um, so and the particular things that really caught my eye were like the delivery and like the ways that it almost immediately just off one song, I felt like you are, you had like, for lack of a better term, like catchphrases or just like things like your brand, like the know what mm -hmm. I mean, or like the suede God. And I'm like, I'm curious, like, what do you, what would you think like would be good advice for like newer artists who are trying to like establish themselves to like, how should they work to find their thing like find their like thing that like a listener like me knows like will look the, for them for yo yeah i mean i think of it this way like gucci had the burr ad lib you know what uh gz had is like yeah i think that everybody kind of got a you know oj the juice man at the eye 
You know what I'm saying? And I think that just because we're doing like super word heavy stuff doesn't mean we got to stray away from that either. And I think that uh, somebody that I might have learned that from a long time ago was like was Lil B. Because I think for a while, Lil B was just king of the ad libs with swag, chef, you know, and I and I think that when I figured out, I knew at a certain point I was like, yo, I need the ad lib. I need the signature ad lib many years ago. And that happened by that kind of happened by accident because it's just um, I think you discover what you do the best when you when you throw shit at the wall and stuff starts sticking and like stuff starts finding its way into it like subconsciously. So one day I did a track. I don't remember which track it was specifically, but I, I did the know what I mean a couple different times and I went back and heard it and I was like, oh yeah, that's mine, you know? So I just think, you know, it just comes with finding your style. You think of all your influences, you lean on your influences and then you keep working and then you kind of have something that's all your own mm-hmm. while still like stepping on everybody else's shoulders, you know? Like I'm on the shoulders of the people who influenced me, but my style is is my style. Yeah, Lil B, man, he was like so influential in so many ways but the ad lib like that changed the fucking game like it's not like it's so common like you're right it's it used to be a specific type of artist that had ad libs the rest were like oh you're lyrical you don't have ad libs that's stupid shit but now everybody has them like no matter what it's just a thing you don't need it but it's important you know it's like your stamp you know like there was one time um i I had since i sent a verse to blood blixen and I didn't say know what I mean at the end. Like I had him in the ad lib somewhere and he hit me up and he was like, nah, yo, I need you. Can you send me a know what I mean? And I was like, yo, I'm not. <laughs> I, I love that. That's awesome. I fuck with all the y'all, but I fuck with me more. Respect the architect that builds it up from the floor. Brick by brick, now the building is tall. This is Darth Swayden, not Vader or more. Trying to dodge the plot of the internet bots. So the shit you don't got get you some more so we got this working a lot certain we hot hydrated thirsty like yeah and speaking of beats here so you're also not just a rapper like you are a very talented beat maker as well my background here avada kedavra yeah. that's like some of that. my best beats i think personally you know i so, i agree i fucking really loved how just like how clear and dusty like it was just a nice yeah, a little bit of psychedelic vibes too like it was just a really good mix of things um and i i'm curious like what part of hip-hop do you think comes more naturally is it the rapping or is it the producing uh i think rapping it's hard to work on both of them at the same time you know when when I do tapes like Avada Kedavra, I, I, it takes it's a time period of me making a lot of beats first until I have enough that I want to rap over. But I don't know if this all the way answers the question. I think it, it comes more naturally to rap, but that's why every once in a while I do partner up with other producers. That makes me a better rapper. When I rap on my own beats, I think of it more like songs because I know the beats hella well and I know the structures of the beats and I know when certain drums might drop, if there is drums or certain things might chop. So uh, I treat it more like we're writing songs. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think because I don't have to split it up between rapping and making beats when I'm working with Televangel or if I'm working with Small Professor or whoever, I could give 100% of that to rap. And I think every time I do that, it makes the rapping on my next self-produced album stronger because I got to go to the gym for a couple of albums. 
And then in the background, I'm slowly progressing with the beats and trying to get better with the beats. But it's just all a matter of how much time I'm putting into one over the other, you know? Yeah, like, I, that's a really good point. And I think, um, I think when I think of other common examples of artists that self-produce, because I've actually, I made this comment, not directly, but it's related. Um, in my recent review of the Aethiopes, like a Woods preservation album, and I was making mm -hmm. the comment that I feel like because Woods doesn't produce for my knowledge, he has no yeah. production credits, but I had noticed over the past, like several years, there's something about his like songwriting beat selection. Like a lot of that has just improved. And I found it very impressive. Some of the things I heard about the creation of Atheos because he doesn't actually produce because I feel as you kind of said it just now, if you produce and rap, I feel like you just are a natural advantage, at least from a starting point in terms of understanding like where a, a voice should be, like the pocket to be in, the little nuances. I feel like you're just, especially when it's your own beat, you just kind of like know exactly what it is. You, you're so intimately. Yeah. I think sometimes though, Woods has an advantage for not producing because like, I don't understand how as somebody who writes shit, the way that Woods sets up his flow. And I think because I make beats and I have an understanding of drums and notes that I'm a little bit more rigid in my delivery and I have a hard time, like, obviously I'm not trying to do what Woods does, but the way Woods rhymes, I, I don't know if I personally could write like that because I have a producer mind. Like I don't, I'm still like within the lines of certain eighth notes and 16th notes, whereas Woods can just go wherever the fuck he wants. You know what that's I mean? That's very interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Because then other examples of artists that actually do produce their own work and rap, but I always feel uh, should do less of that, honestly, is like a J. Cole. That's like a common example, but I think it's it's oh, yeah. really, it's really, really did that a little bit finally on his last album. But I feel like I'm trying to think of what maybe be the reason. But for you, I feel like you have a style that's I just find so distinct that I find it's hard for you to sound boring on your own production because it's just like, I don't know. I feel like your style is just like so interesting. And I feel like J Cole, unfortunately, I do think he's a good rapper, but he can, I don't think there's something ultra distinct about anything he does. I just think he's fundamentally good, pretty good at yeah. rapping. So I feel like he could benefit a lot from working with other producers because I do find a lot of his self-produced stuff. It just, He's way too comfortable, basically. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know what the last J. Cole self I, Yeah, I can't tell it you. Even KOD. Oh, KOD. Yeah. Yeah, I gave that a spin. That's not my favorite. You know, I was actually, I was, I was on like the whole train of like trying to like clown J. Cole until I seen him live. Like there was like a whole narrative where people were trying to front like, yo, kids don't like J. Cole. J. Cole push you to sleep. J. Cole is boring and this, that, and the third. And that was all in that echo chamber that was just like kind of just trying to smear J. Cole shit and being weak-minded. I agree with a piece of it. So I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, J. Cole's boring. But I go to see J. Cole live and that changed my whole entire perspective of J. Cole. I got a lot of respect for him. And everybody in the crowd was going crazy. Oh, he, yeah. You know, he had the whole live band. I was, I once, I seen Thug and Lil Wayne and a couple other people before him that same day. Uh, he had no vocals on his shit. He he just he shut the whole down. He shut his whole shit down. And from then, I was just like, anytime I hear somebody, like whether I listen to him a lot or not, which really isn't the case, I always gotta. Anytime somebody clowns Jay Cole, I kind of gotta be like, yo, hold up. 
yeah people go way too wild with that stuff it's 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 weird to be honest yeah i do get it to an extent but it's it's just classic like echo chamber like you said people just want to overhype everything either positive or negative yeah for sure that's why i kind of got to wait for like with people of that stature i kind of got to wait for hype to die down before i listen to certain things because i don't want to be like indirectly influenced but, like on larger projects like obviously i'm going to jump on the kendrick album as soon as that shit drops mm -hmm. but i might have to turn off twitter for until i'm done listening to the whole entire thing yeah you know what i'm yeah, those are the kind, Kendrick's like a perfect example. I feel like I got such a great first listen from Damn because I was like on a Greyhound and I yeah. downloaded it prior, like, and then listened to it the morning after and I had no conception of what the album was. And I feel like that was the one where I still, people loved it, but it was a little more mixed. I think people had ridiculous expectations and I was like, man, I loved that album. What the fuck? Yeah. That was great. I was like, fuck you guys. Like, I'm really enjoying this. Like, even if you don't like that one, it still has the balance of having the singles like Humble mm -hmm. and DNA. Like you, it still has the two radio records of Humble and DNA, but everything else is kind of, is, is heavy duty rapping. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so you recently linked up with two great producers, as we've already talked about, Small Professor and Televangel. So I want to start with Metatron's Cube that dropped earlier this year. So I think it's an incredible record. We actually already spoke about this and collaborated on that Three Keys piece, which I thought was fantastic. So go check that out on the, the Rocky's Plug uh, podcast website uh, if you haven't already. And there's a few things that I kind of want to expand on that you spoke about as well as Televangel spoke about in the piece. So one of the things is that Obviously, I called out that I think you guys made a great pairing. And you had mentioned that you felt like you and Televangel were one of the few people who could bridge the gap between multiple generations and make something that was somewhat reminiscent of that classic uh, cloud rap sound that was really popular in like the around the early 2010s. So why was making an album that drew from this era or spoke to this era important to you? And do you feel like, Metatron's Cube does fit that movement or is it something different from that? Well, the thing with Metatron's Cube, we didn't really know what we had until it was done. So inadvertently, we ended up doing that. But I just remember Blue Sky Black Death during that era of Blue Sky Black Death and where I was at and like a lot of the people that we know in common, like, you know, Main Attractions or Pepper Boy or just a whole bunch of people who I go back to that era, Western Tint, Beautiful Lou. And um, prior to that, Blue Sky Black Death was doing a lot of hip hop stuff with Baby Grand and Hellraiser and Gene Gray and uh, War Dove slash Holocaust from uh, you know Wu-Tang members and affiliates and stuff like that. So I think naturally the beats that I chose out of those packs, cause I got at least 50 beats to choose from. And there was beats that I chose and rapped over that the versions that we have now, like Ruby's and Wake the Wind and uh, Master Shake, that those were songs that were recorded over different beats and got swapped out at the end. Like they, they almost didn't even make the album completely until I heard the new versions of the beats and I thought they would have fly. But um, those types of beats were just, you know, really fucking crazy. And when we got to the got the final project and and the product of it, it kind of just sounded like that because it, it I felt like it had some of the early skeletons of 
Blue Sky Black Death Records, like the, with the drums and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the back the backdrops kind of had that atmospheric, uh, quote unquote, cloud kind of sound, the ambient sound. And um, yeah, so I don't think it was really on purpose, but I think that just and also a lot of the beats I rapped on, but just like prototype versions of the beats. When I started getting final, uh, the final mixes and and the masters and stuff back there was stuff added after I left Portland. Like he, he went back and, you know, it might be, so a lot of it was familiar, but new to me as well. So when I heard the final product in its entirety, front to back, I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, we knew the shit was fire. Like you, you go into, we went there trying to make the most fire product that we could possibly make. But what we had at the end, I don't even think we really expected that. And then we were able to kind of put together like, damn, this is like now and then. Yeah, that's you a know, good way of putting it. It is like now and then. And and tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and tomorrow. Because like straight up, nothing sounds like it because I and, I and I found it really interesting in the piece because Televangel was got really in depth about the specifics and some of the ways he wanted to marry that cloud rap-esque style with like a more grimy hip hop sound, which is something that he hasn't actually done recently, which I found yeah. was really cool because yeah, it has a rugged feel like it feels like uh it doesn't feel super immediately pretty and like clean like a lot of that blue sky back black death stuff sounded and other artists in that vein um so he really did something special for you yeah but like like even because prior to that i don't feel like he was really making too much music for for people who rap like me you know like nacho has a very distinct style yeah and that requires like distinct types of beats and then the stuff he was doing with squatter and pepper boy and all of them and like even joints he he's done for black cray if you're familiar with who that is like um they're different i think i was the first one to come around like in as of recent that was able to rhyme on shit like that so i kind of if i could take the credit humbly in gave you that little extra push to you know get back to this style of beats because at first, like I was also thinking of mixing it up and like maybe having one or two joints that the closest thing might be Elysium. That's something that like I could have heard, I could hear potentially on one of those like older Nacho albums as yeah. far as like the tempo is concerned and shit. But uh, I think we was able to like hit all the bases of like all the periods of time that we've seen, you know, it's just because then you'll have a song like here with Squatta and that's definitely a product of that of that yeah. era you know like updated of course and but then you have shit like terror or respect the architect that kind of has like older blue sky black death like drums and skeletons but modern futuristic backdrop you know yeah and so you're speaking of some of those features you got you got some crazy ones you got a crazy yeah. feature that's one of my favorite xwire features he's done in a long time and he doesn't really do that many so like yeah. that's pretty unique on its own but he he like slayed that shit nah yeah it was crazy the first time i heard it and then prem (laughs) yeah and your yours and prem's uh chemistry joel austin joel austin is that you say his name yeah i think so you know it was crazy though because i I told prem like two years ago when me and televangel were first talking about doing this tape like and you know, we already did Joe Osteen, but that had to wait a little bit, a little while because there was a couple other releases on the label that yeah. had to go first. So that actually dropped a little while after it was recorded, but I was hitting him up and I'll be like, yo, 
me and Televangio are working on this album, yo, I got to get you on it. They're like, word. Then a year passed and I'll be like, you know, pandemic's happening and all that shit. And I'm like, yo, we still working on it little by little. I'm going to have something for you soon. And then finally in, in November, I had that verse man. you know, so it just worked out perfectly. And the rest is history. Is that That's my yeah. favorite Prem feature, period. That's, and that's saying a lot. Yo, He's a great crazy. artist. He's that's crazy, too. Insane. Got the, has the sleigh bells. And I'm always joking about how, uh, you know, there's not, you can't really do the sleigh bells without it sounding like Christmas or sounding like some 80 shit, you know, like some Run DMC. But that was like some of the most fly uh, sleigh bell in place of hi-hats on a beat in the longest. It could be the best. I'm, I'm trying to think there's like, it's not common, so... But that yeah. that beat is like phenomenal, like phenomenal. Word. Definitely one of the standouts on the album. Period. I and I should... when I heard it, my bad for cutting you off. I was like, "Yo, this reminds me of like uh the first time I heard Eight Steps to Perfection' by Company Flow." So that's why, like in the song, I'm like Twelve Steps to Perfection." You're halfway there. Nice, but, uh, nice. Uh, it made oh, me think true. of Eight Steps to Perfection the first time I ever heard that song. So. Yeah, like you, you and um, you and Prem feel when I think about it more really like have a similar quality to it that you're both kind of hard you have this like quiet confidence but like a calm too yeah like obviously great lyricists i think that's like i would love to see more work you know what you i think it is though i think the common ground there is like you know he spoke about it before so it's no big deal but he's he's a bartender and i cook part-time and i think that like still interacting with everybody and just being a member of society however many hours a week that you have to do gives you this balance and gives you like a, you know, keeps you grounded in, in one way. Cause it's like, I could go and play, play a show and have, have the shit wall to wall and then still have to clock in the next day. Like it's nothing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and I think he, I'm sure he deals with that same exact thing too. It's just like, you know, you know, you're the shit, but you're not here. We're here to do a job. Like you're not really. And I kind of take that with me everywhere. Like I'm not, I don't go, go I don't come here to talk about like, Oh yeah, outside of here, I'm doing this, that, and the third. But for these, I don't know, just good interactions with people, and you just you just stay really grounded, and you you just do your part. But it's you know, a person I'm, ability we're thing. All get, we're all retiring early, though. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I met Prem, I was lucky to meet him twice in two in like the same week in Ottawa, where yeah. I live. And then when I saw Armin Hammer and and then Prem and Kills, I got that same feeling. He's an everyman kind of dude. Mm-hmm. You can talk to him for hours, and you can tell he's a bartender. Cause he's just great conversation. Um, and, uh, I want to talk quickly about the title of Metatron Scoop because this is something I I did ask you about in the piece. And Mm. I want to just get a bit deeper into this cube worship thing, because it's funny. You said you had a unit on your, in like elementary school. I straight up don't even really understand what it is. Cubism is like a style of painting that Picasso did to do the two, 2d and 3d at the same time. So yeah, we had a unit on that specifically. But yeah, the cube shit, those aren't the same. Are those not the same thing, right? Like, are they related? Nah, it's just no. funny how often cubes find their way into it's in everything. Is I mean, it, how much time you got? I mean, you have because like when I was doing some like really deep diving in some of your music recently, I noticed I didn't notice at first how much it came up in your music. Like you have a what's the project called Black Black Cube, right? Yeah. So the person yeah. who's on that project, my homie Baby Son. Uh, we don't really collaborate uh, too too much at the moment, but he was one of the first people that came to me and was kind of like me and some of my friends, especially in Seattle, in this crew called UDF, which is like it's where a lot of the occult influence comes from. You know, it's like 
like psychedelic hardcore like you know type shit you know but um we had those type of talks and he was the first one who was talking about like yo cube worship and saturn and you know and then it makes you think back into like all the movies and all the advertisements and every time you just see random cubes like you got you have the AllSpark and Transformers. You got the Tesseract in the Marvel Universe, and just a whole whole bunch of things like as to where there are cubes and places where it's like, why the fuck is that? Literally These don't occur cubes. naturally in nature. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, it is a giant black cube in Astor Place in, in Manhattan. Uh, it's just Saturn worship in like hot places, and I think um, obviously you know I'm not worshiping anything like that, but it's just a fun thing. I think it's a fun running thing that me, baby son, and our other friend, Christ Cooper, had gone for a while. And that kind of just started becoming like one of those themes that I think that you were just able to associate with it. So we just kind of, I kind of just keep it going because I think it's funny. And I think that uh, we were some of the first people and I'm going to give them their credit because they originally put me on and then I did the due diligence myself to like really just be using that shit in, in the theme of the music. But, you know, mm-hmm. not just like going pure tinfoil hat, it's just, like mixing the food with the medicine yeah you know? yeah and it, it just kind of has a nice steeze to it you know it doesn't need to be it's not necessarily even about the thing um and and something i like about contrasting metatron's cube to hundred year darkness is that it feels almost like the, the record televangel was like what you're talking about and kind of even to an extent the music itself like the instrumentals it felt really like big and like a big broad scope whereas Hundred Year Darkness, as you kind of described it, it feels a lot more like in the moment. Like it feels like, yeah, you get jazz musician. You're like playing off of um, the beats, but specifically with the production here, the main thing I took away from it, irrespective of that um, contrast with Metatron's Cube, is that it was. It's very serene. It's very like a calming, subtle kind of album. It's not trying to like punch you in the face but it is still hard hitting, but not from a musical perspective. Did you guys, what was your kind of approach to the sound? Like, did you tell him like, Hey, I want to make like beats that are like yeah. a little more quieter or like, I don't know. He sent me a bunch of packs and there was definitely beats that weren't like that in there. They were like joints that were heavier. Like the drums were a lot higher. Right. And I just gravitated towards those. And I think it was mostly because like, not saying I didn't like those other beats, but I like the way that the beats that got selected worked with each other to create that mood. So there was definitely stuff that was a lot different from that, but I, I went that way with it. And I feel like, um, like even the, the more minimal or like sparse joints, I was able, I felt like I was just another instrument, another instrument that was added to his production, you know? Mm-hmm. And it does feel like you're playing off the beat because I think this one gave you more space and kind of, in my opinion, like asked you to do more in a way to like have a, interesting flow do something that'll catch your eye uh catch the ear of the listener you know especially keep changing it up every couple bars not like Mm -hmm. lose the listener you know and i think on this record specifically these last two really i think your rapping is like incredibly concise and like some of the quote especially on hundred year darkness some of the quotals quotables were just like every song i was catching a couple where i'm like damn that is fucking you was you was picking them up it. though, you know, because the thing there is, was like, like a lot all of in one day where I was just catching everything. Yeah. I was like, "Damn, this album's sick." <laughs> like the Creed one might go over a couple heads, you know, because it's like I remember specifically I went to karaoke with my family a long time ago. I might have been like thirteen, and uh, 
some fool did uh, Arms Wide Open by Creed. I, you know, so that's like the direct like memory that I have yeah. where that bar like, formulated itself. You know? Yeah, no, then, I, love, like, I love that Creed fucking line. Well, so it's like the double entendre kind of yeah. situation. And like, even like, uh, I don't know if this is on... 100 Year Darkness, it might be on Metatron's Cube, but you have like, you know why I'm here, like Marshawn, is that which one? Metatron's Cube. That's yeah. on Metatron's Cube, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's even like bars like that where this, there's not really, I'm trying, maybe I'm wrong, I need to remember the context of that line, but there's a lot of, you have those lines where it's like, it doesn't even need to be so like, you're talking about cubism or cube worship or whatever. It's just like, like good references. Like, I like that shit. Like, it's just funny, yeah. funny or clever and shit like that. I just think you've been just really on like a great, like you've been really on point recently. And I'm curious, like, do you think like at this point you're rapping the best you've ever been rapping? Nah, cause I want to get better, but like, yeah, I do feel like at this moment, this is like a culmination. And the thing with um hundred years of darkness that I heard somebody else describe, just like paying it, being omnipotent and paying attention to the conversation is that um there's a lot of different flows as the songs go. And I think those are all flows that I've learned over time by having so many different catalogs. Like I got like names for certain flows. Like I might hear a track and be like, oh, I'm gonna use the blank flow. I'm gonna use like, they all references to other songs. Like the first mm-hmm. time I might've used that right. flow on that particular song. But there was also times where the beat allowed me to do like, I could do eight bars of the blank flow and then do another four bars of this flow. And then, you know what I'm saying? And, but like, I think a good example of that there's the track major event and that yeah. one has like a swing where i'm doing the hook i was like shit i can't really count if this is a four bar loop because small is good with time signatures you know like there's certain tracks that are like six bar loops it's not all the traditional four count mm-hmm. so when i was writing that one and i was doing the hook i was like having a hard time telling if the hook was a bar short or a bar too much so when i did the second every year is a major event I can't tell if it's early or late, but the way that it swings and I'm like, every year we lose a great old vet. That's just me doing the same exact thing that the beat is doing. Mm-hmm. So I knew that when it came back around, I don't know. It was like, it was like having like a block of cement and kind of chiseling out the flows, you know, in every single yeah. track because it was there, but I just had to unlock it. And that's cool because uh, you were saying how like, it's kind of going to the gym. It's like getting your reps in when you're working with another producer working with those kind of time signatures and that kind of erect like opposite of automated uh um perfectly precise things like that i'm thinking of the greatest producers like jay dilla like that was like something i know he always was like against like quantizing his drums because he liked that natural swing because it just brought something out of the music and i'm sure that helps you as a rapper too to kind of like inspire you to push yourself and do things a little differently not for sure. That's why, like, sometimes, like, it's fun to work with producers like these, especially because there's certain things, like, I got my own lane in production that I formulated, and I still have fun, and I still try new shit, but there's certain producers that are known for doing certain things, and I feel like I'm known for doing a certain thing. So when I go to their world, I get to pick up more pieces, and like with, like I said, with Televangel, there's a, there's a lot. His beats are dense. There's layers. Yeah. There's, there's shit going on in different ears. There's, like, you know, and, um, so with that, like it, it, it unlocks a certain style of rapping, you know, but I think the song five times 10 was one of the later songs recorded. That might've been like the last song, but I unlocked something there. That's my, probably my favorite song by you. 
Straight. Thank you. That's one of my favorites too. Cause that's why like when it got the first video and I was struggling to figure out which song is going to get the first video around that time. And, and to me, that was it. But uh, when I first did that flow, that one kind of got lost. He sent me back the mixes and then he was like, yo, there was a whole other track that we recorded that I forgot about and sent it to me. And I was like, oh shit, how the fuck did I forget about this? And he's like, yo, I know, right? And then first, and so that was my first time I was listening to all the mixes and masters and then I got that brand new right mm -hmm. over it. And I was just like, yeah, I kind of unlocked a little something with this flow, at least in the beginning four bars of the verse, you know, with the bullshit. It's all it's all math, yo. It's all math and like swing and like where you decide to start the verse. Are you gonna start it on the one? Are you gonna start it like an eighth note before? But it all gotta equal up to to sixteen in a way. Yeah, you know man, the saying? flow that you have there and like the way it transitions to the hook is like that. That was like truly, I was like, wow, like I'm fucking. Oh, yo, thank you. I'm fucking like impressed and yeah, like it just. And that one was also, it's also feels a little different from the rest of the album. It still fits, but it, it, it's like a nice closer. It feels like a, a send off, you know, like it's like, like a stamp. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's not as moody as some of the tracks, like, and not even moody, like a bad thing. Like, you know, some of them like that, that atmosphere that's kind of being created to me feels hella Northwest. You know, yeah. like we did that one in Portland and, uh, you know, Honey of Darkness was, you know, small from Philly. I made that at home in Seattle. And I feel like there's just, there's two different types of atmospheres, but one might be, that one's a little bit more Portland, I might say, because it's like dark, like Seattle, but it's not as dark. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not as, yeah. it doesn't, to me, it doesn't get as rainy. Whereas like 100 Years of Darkness is like more Seattle. Mm -hmm. And there is like rain sound effects. I think it's parts in that right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I did, on on the track enterprise it seems like there was some rain behind it mm -hmm. which is uh you know i sounded that was perfect to me yeah so like who are some other producers that you'd love to link up with and do another collaborative project with if you had to choose shit yo there's actually there's shit that's already like kind of in the worst i mean i guess i could say that me and steel tip dub are working on some shit okay you know we yeah. might be working on something else too but there's another rapper a part of that and i don't want to speak about that so so that's done you know but um yeah i'm like when i go to new york next month i'm gonna go kick it with him in the studio for a little bit but like i already got joints so i'm like right in here and there so when i show up i could knock out as much as possible but um shit, i want to i want to do a joint with mugs you know all oh, this is all yeah. wish list shit, mugs mad lit but if we want to be realistic like people coming up like i listen to tons I'm a fan of, of all the good music, you know, like I always love finding new music. I love giving people their props. I like reaching out just to be like, yo, your shit is fire. And then just like disappearing, you know, like not even, yeah. but, um, shit, there's a couple people up and coming or like within our world that I hear all the time. And I feel like the only reason I don't want to mention names cause I might leave some out, but mm -hmm. you know, mugs, Nick Craven, uh, Shit, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of really good people, you know. It's a good time to be a fan of this shit. Oh, it's a good time a good to time. keep discovering stuff too, you know. Yeah, and so I think it's a good transition. Like generally, stuff you can speak on, of course. What are some upcoming projects? I knew you got the vinyl for um, Metatron's Cube that's coming up, which is dope. That's on yeah. May twenty seventh. Um, but yeah, what else do you got? Can people expect in the next like year or so? Oh yeah, we're gonna get Metatron's Cube 2 this year. Oh sure. shit. 
Okay. Yeah, for sure, That's bro. actually like, didn't expect that at all. Holy shit. Nah, I'm gonna go down there. Potentially Televangel just had a kid. So oh, like I wanted awesome. to make sure he had a couple months to like be a dad and like make his imprint and, and I don't want to interrupt him and his wife's like parenting time and shit. But I might go down there in July and get started, you know. But um Metatron's Q vinyl's coming. Somebody might do a Vada Kadabra. There's a there's a local um there's a local record company ran by one guy in Seattle called Crane City Records. And he put on my last vinyl. And we've been talking back and forth about originally he wanted to do Dark Sway to Six, but we're kind of worried that shit is in the Disney system and there's Vader on the cover and there's Darth in it. Hmm. And I don't want to get cease and assist it like down yeah. the line. Like if that one goes on to travel, that particular vinyl travels the world and ends up in a Disney exec's hand. So we might do about a cadaver. We're talking about it, but I just gotta just gotta make sure like we're all on the same page. And then um shit, Metatron's Q2, me and Doug working on something, and then there's another project that I'm slow cooking with another rapper that until we have over eight projects and keep eight songs completed i'm keeping my mouth shut on it yeah know? fair enough those are dope man i i actually really thought uh even releasing so much music i didn't expect a metatron's cube that's the last thing. i thought maybe you were gonna get like a solo or something damn that's impressive yeah that's... you know, i have one in the cut like i have seven tracks done but it's crazy because it's like i'm trying to slow down the output it still seems like a lot but i'm thinking of like dropping one every quarter that's as a opposed good to like how I would just drop like until like just because I can comp- I make music that's how I have the most fun that's how I stay occupied how I stay out of trouble and shit and um still gonna just do do four and it's crazy because there's tons of people who reach out to me about like you know let's do let's do this do this that and the third and it's hard for me to like really break down like I'm not doing six to eight projects a year anymore that's just not happening yeah you know I what mean, I'm it, like it. It depends. I, I, I feel like there's no like one size fits all. I think there's yeah, a I mean, time different people, when different, different people, different shit, but I need to live as much as I'm writing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It depends on how you create and it depends I think mm-hmm. where you are in your career, because I'm thinking of an artist, like we talked about iceberg theory that like 2020, like complete, like, I don't know what you even call it. He released like seven projects yeah, and they were all yeah. huge. Like he just flooded the market. And I feel mm-hmm. like that was really good, a good strategy for him because I think his style and his music is not very easy to like necessarily penetrate and and really get with. But I just kept getting like so many projects coming out. There was so much for me to go back to. I was yeah. able to very quickly get to that. Okay, no, this guy's dope. But if I heard one project and I had to wait six months, I might have just been like, okay, that was a little strange. I don't know if I get yeah. that and I may forget it, but I had like, seven other august Fanon produced projects to like hit up i'm like okay i'm gonna listen like you know and yeah. now i'm like huge fan so it all depends for sure yeah i just know like i'll get tapped out if i'm not like doing enough to because you know i went on runs well I've, I've done that but one thing i've learned is like you got to give a little bit me personally you got to give a little bit more attention to the rollout and how you roll that out and some of the time that i might have been spent making music i should spend that working on the rollout or plotting another video or two as opposed to just so that's that's like it's not like i'm working not working but i want to just try to nurture 
some of these projects. And I think uh, when I dropped Metatron's cube, I learned that because we really were patient with it mm -hmm. and waited for the verses to get in, waited to, uh, you know, we gave it to fake four and, you know, cause we just, we just took our time. And like, for me, I had to learn how to better occupy my time in that. Cause I would frantically just be working on more music, not frantically, but I would just be working on more music. Cause that's what I do. But up until from that period of that album being done, to it being turned in, to it being released. I want to live life, you know what I'm saying? Worked on the rollout, thought of some ideas, try to figure out how to um, get it to certain people. But I wouldn't have done that before if after the last drop, I just started working on the next drop again. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, I think, uh, and, it, and like from a listener's perspective too, there is a, there's so much music that comes out. I feel like mm -hmm. a quarter is a good amount because if you start to get, again, it depends, but if you start to get more frequent, it's like, man, like I was, I barely digested your last record. There's yeah. like a million other great artists making music. It's like, that's where that has happened with some artists where I'm like, I'm, I'm a fan, but I, it takes me a few months to get to their stuff because it's just been so much. And I'm like, I, I, I can't yeah, only listen to you, you know, people start feeling like, um, like when you, when you have like a really high frequency, like same thing, if you play like too many shows in like the same location, Every once in a while, somebody could be like, there's going to be another one in two weeks. I can miss this one. Yeah. You kind of want to, I personally want to kind of avoid that. Like, I want to just face it out just enough that like you might have just finished digesting it. And now you have a little bit more time to come in, bump the next one, you know? So I'm trying. It's, everything is learning, experiencing, kind of like experimenting in real time because every single album or project that I released did different things and I get to learn from the album covers to the amount of songs I chose to how I sequenced it. I study all of that just to see how that affects the reaction that the people have. And mm -hmm. I keep just trying to improve that in, in the process of thinking, like I'm not ever gonna, there's times I might've been a little bit lack of date, lacks of days ago about, you know, cover arts or deadlines. I'm not doing that shit anymore. I'm gonna make mm -hmm. sure that every single thing I do is to the best that I could possibly do it. Not saying that I was before, but you gotta, keep raising a bar on yourself, you know, yeah. production value and learning more about mixing, learning more about mastering, just constantly being a student. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And on that note, I think, I think it's a great time to wrap here. I just have to say like you have, I was a fan last year for sure. I loved your music, but I think this year you've just leveled the fuck up and you're talking yeah, about you, like, it is the other aspects too, like Metatron's cube, I don't know when you first even teased the track list, but I remember knowing about the record coming for mm -hmm. at least two months, maybe. And I don't, and I think it was all public stuff. Like you didn't tell me in advance. So I was like, that, I was like primed to listen to that, especially like televangel. Like oh. I was super intrigued, obviously, but you know, I just think you've, you've really been stepping up your game and the way you're talking about now, I'm, I'm excited for like everything you have upcoming. Thank you. You too, man. You've been doing your thing out here, interviewing a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. so i'm glad to be a part of that too so thanks for having me yeah appreciate it and uh yeah take care have a good rest of the night peace peace Lobbyists love to hear the gun sounds Flooded my community, ain't no chance for unity I got five on it times ten just for you with me I can move the crowd, ain't nobody really moving me Hit the DMT, now the sky looks computery I can see the pixels and the stars in this community I got five on it times ten just for you with me I can move the crowd, ain't nobody really moving me Hit the DMT, now the sky looks
now the sky was confusing I can see the pixels in the rain and it's cool with me So there we have it, another episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some new perspectives and insights into what the greatest art form known to man in hip-hop music has to offer. If you want to support the show in the most meaningful way possible, it would be my absolute honor to have you as a patron in the new Rap Music Plug podcast Patreon. Through this Patreon, you will be getting exclusive content such as bonus episodes, exclusive album recommendations, exclusive playlists, early access to episodes, and more. And above all though, you will be able to support the show directly in a way that will not only justify the crazy amount of time I spend on this show already, but allow me to cover some of the expenses related to supporting all of these great artists that we cover on the show through the website and will allow us to sustain and build on this amazing growth that the RMPP has experienced recently. Big shout out to Dano of Free Music Empire, Levi, Mahima, Jeff, Mitch, Dash Lewis, Pancake Cleaner, Trey, Noah, Justin, Brandon, Joe, Gavin, Matt, Teddy Faley, Jackson, CN, Slumber Logic, Fat Man Tomb, and Khalid for your generous support through the Patreon. I really appreciate it. So if you have any questions about any of the Patreon stuff or just want to keep tabs on the show, interact with me on rap music and all the great stuff that we can talk about, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rapmusicplugpod or shoot me an email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube and Spotify as well. But that's enough self-promotion for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace.